today on the Word Preacher Podcast, Those Not Under Oath, The Cause of Amaron, and Moroni Jumps to the Wrong Conclusion. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Word Preacher Podcast. All right, our Come Follow Me curriculum for this week brings us to Alma chapters 53 through 63. These are the last chapters in the book of Alma. Um, one of the, the big events that's really memorable in this portion of the scriptures talks about 2,000 young men who became soldiers from the people of Ammon. Um, if you recall from previous discussions or readings, uh, the people of Ammon had taken an oath not to fight. They had buried their weapons of war, worried that their um, their tendencies to commit violence would cause them to fall into a path of sin, and they would rather die than risk losing what they had gained spiritually. Um that having been said, the situation that they were in towards the end of the book of Alma was the Nephites were, were dying. They were sending their soldiers out, and they were suffering and dying from wars that benefited them, that protected their people. And it pained the people of Ammon to the degree that they considered breaking their oath. But... After careful thought, they realized that some of their young sons uh, were young enough that they had not taken this oath, that they would be eligible to help support this war effort. Here are a few verses in Alma chapter 53 about this. But behold, it came to pass that they had many sons who had not entered into a covenant that they would not take their weapons of war to defend themselves against their enemies. Therefore they did assemble themselves together at this time, as many as were able to take up arms, and they called themselves Nephites. And they entered into a covenant to fight for the liberty of the Nephites, yea, to protect the land unto the laying down of their lives. Yea, even they covenanted that they never would give up their liberty, but they would fight in all cases to protect the Nephites and themselves from bondage. Now behold, there were two thousand of these young men who entered into this covenant and took their weapons of war to defend their country. And now behold, as they had never as they never had hitherto been a disadvantage to the Nephites, they became now at this period of time also a great support, for they took their weapons of war, and they would that Helaman should be their leader. And they were all young men, and they were exceedingly valiant for courage, and they also for strength and activity. But behold, this was not all. They were men who were true at all times in whatsoever thing they were entrusted. Yea, they were men of truth and soberness, for they had been taught to keep the commandments of God and to walk uprightly before him. Now, these soldiers were meant to be a support to the Nephites, as was pointed out. 
this wasn't like the overwhelming force that was going to go and vanquish the Lamanite armies. The Lamanites outnumbered the Nephites substantially, and this increase of 2,000 was not enough to tip the balance in terms of raw numbers. Um, but uh, they, as a support role, saved lives. And, and almost immediately, they came to a city uh, that was named Judea to strengthen the forces of a Nephite commander named Antipas. Um, now, when the Lamanites, the army of Amaron, the brother of Amalickiah, noticed that the Nephites were getting these reinforcements, they were a little more hesitant to attack the city, which saved the lives of those Nephites. Um, ultimately, the Lamanites decided that instead of continuing their offensive campaign, they would maintain the cities that they had already captured. But over time, the Nephites continually marched with provisions through the land. The Lamanites became a bit uneasy, and they were worried that the Nephites would grow to overpower them. Well, they slowly began to poke their heads out of the fortified locations that these cities represented. So the Nephites decided to try the old bait-and-switch. Helaman's warriors would pretend to deliver provisions to a city beyond a heavily fortified Lamanite uh, position. Once out of their fortifications, the Nephites would be able to attack uh, the, the Lamanites uh, using the army of Antipas that would come uh, from a hidden location. So that was the switch. The Lamanites took the bait following uh, Helaman's 2,000 warriors, but they moved very quickly, faster than Antipas had anticipated. So he had to speed his march to try and catch up to the Lamanite forces that were chasing Helaman's army. Now, Helaman's small number of men were in a precarious position. They couldn't really stop. They would be overtaken. And if they turned left or right, then it would decrease the distance between uh, them and the army chasing them. They just went straight, and they couldn't stop or turn. But eventually, they discovered the Lamanites were no longer pursuing them. And even that was a precarious position because they couldn't be sure if it was a trap or if the Lamanites had just returned to their fortifications or if they were battling with Antipas. And uh, the passage uh, that, that describes this situation, uh, Helaman's response to, to asking them if they would battle, and they responded affirmatively. There's, there's a lot of verses here, but I think it's worth reading. Now they never had fought, yet they did not fear death, and they did think more upon the liberty of their fathers than they did upon their lives. Yea, they had been taught by their mothers that if they did not doubt, God would deliver them. And they rehearsed unto me the words of their mothers, saying, We do not doubt, our mothers knew it. And it came to pass that I did return with my two thousand against these Lamanites who had pursued us. And now, behold, the armies of Antipas had overtaken them, and a terrible battle had commenced, the army of Antipas being weary because of their long march in so short a space of time, were about to fall into the hands of the Lamanites. 
and had I not returned with my two thousand, they would have obtained their purpose. For Antipas had fallen by the sword, and many of his leaders because of their weariness, which was occasioned by the speed of their march. Therefore the men of Antipas, being confused because of the fall of their leaders, began to give way before the Lamanites. And it came to pass that the Lamanites took courage and began to pursue them. And thus were the Lamanites pursuing them with great vigor when Helaman came upon their rear with his two thousand and began to slay them exceedingly, insomuch that the whole army of the Lamanites halted and turned upon Helaman. Now when the people of Antipas saw that the Lamanites had turned them about, they gathered together their men and came upon the rear of the Lamanites. And now it came to pass that we, the people of Nephi, the people of Antipas, and I with my two thousand, did surround the Lamanites and did slay them, insomuch that they were compelled to deliver up their weapons of war and also themselves as prisoners of war. And now it came to pass that when they had surrendered themselves up unto us, behold, I numbered those young men who had fought with me, fearing lest there were many of them slain. But behold, to my great joy, there had not one soul of them fallen to the earth. Yea, they had fought as if with the strength of God. Ye never were men known to have fought with such miraculous strength, and with such mighty power did they fall upon the Lamanites that they did frighten them. And for this cause did the Lamanites deliver themselves up as prisoners of war. This was a very memorable situation. It was miraculous. The faith of these young men helped produce a miracle, a victory without the loss of a single one, of Helaman's young army. Miracles are possible with faith. All right, let's change gears and look a little more at the cause of Amaron. Amalekiah had been slain by Tiancum in our last reading. His brother Amaron uh, had become king of the Lamanites. And he uh, had a little bit of correspondence about prison exchange, prisoner exchange with Moroni. Um, and he disclosed what his cause was. Uh, let's read a couple of verses. This is Alma chapter 54, verses 16 through 18. I am Amaron, the king of the Lamanites. I am the brother of Amalekiah, whom ye have murdered. Behold, I will avenge his blood upon you. Yea, and I will come upon you with my armies, for I fear not your threatenings. For behold, your fathers did wrong their brethren, insomuch that they did rob them of their right to the government when it rightly belonged to them. And now behold, if ye will lay down your arms and subject yourselves to be governed by those to whom the government doth rightly belong, then will I cause that my people shall lay down their weapons and shall be no more at war. Um, yeah, that's kind of an interesting cause. Yeah, we wouldn't fight you, except you don't seem to want to do each and every little thing that pops into our heads. So we're re-educating you. Um, fascinating position from Amaron. Um, though Amaron 
probably did not believe that he was being manipulated. He absolutely was being manipulated. Think about the number of times in the scriptures that Satan demand himself be worshipped, that people bow down and give him his rightful place of, of government, that they yield to him. From Moses in the Pearl of Great Price to Jesus Christ himself on the pinnacle of the temple, there are several examples of this. Now, if we expand this, to include demands, uh, 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 not just demands to be the object of worship, but to encourage people to bow down to someone or something other than God, no matter what, the number increases dramatically. From golden calves to Baal to Dagon to Diana or to living individuals, from Pharaoh and, of course, here in this example, to Amaron. They're all interested in getting people to bow down to someone other than God. They're interested in compelling government. Because of the Nephites, as written on the title of Liberty, was to bow to God only. It was in, in memory of their faith and their religion and their families. And the more intent they were to do this, the stronger the resistance to that intent that they experienced. This is the case today. The more that you intend to serve the Lord, inevitably, the more obstacles you will find that encourage you to bow down or even just prioritize other things before God. Whether this is living his commandments, having sincere prayer and worship, receiving ordinances, attending the temple, the result is the same. He and his agents are very eager to get you to bow down to anyone or anything other than God. The Nephites were right to endure the hardships that this encouraged. This was not an easy thing to maintain their freedom and their peace, but they bowed to no one but God. Uh, this is an excellent example. The example set by King, uh, by Captain Moroni and by the Nephites, willing to pay the price to ensure that they kept their freedom and their faith. This does not mean that Moroni was without mistake. If we move into our next uh, subject, where Moroni jumps to the wrong conclusion, we can kind of see an example of this, plainly stated in the Book of Mormon. The armies of Moroni, out on the borders of the lands around Zarahemla, began to suffer from a lack of supplies. Now, Moroni knew the movements of his forces and the positions of the Lamanites he was trying to defend against, where they were coming. And he also knew that Zarahemla was not under a threat of Lamanite invasion. And he knew that Zarahemla was also not sending provisions to support Nephite defenses. And in this situation, Moroni jumped to a conclusion. 
This is Alma chapter 60, verses 22 through 24. Will ye sit in idleness while ye are surrounded with thousands of those, ye tens of thousands who do also sit in idleness? While there are thousands round about in the borders of the lands who are falling by the sword, ye wounded and bleeding? Do ye suppose that God will look upon you as guiltless? While ye sit still and behold these things, behold, I say unto you, Nay. Now I would that ye should remember that God has said that the inward vessel shall be cleansed first, and then shall the outer vessel be cleansed also. And now, except ye do repent of that which ye have done, and begin to be up and doing, and send forth food and men unto us, and also unto Helaman, that he may support those parts of our country which he has regained, and that we may also recover the remainder of our possessions in these parts, behold, it will be expedient that we contend no more with the Lamanites, until we have first cleansed our inward vessel, yea, even the great head of our government. The problem with this was he was wrong. <laughs> Turns out his conclusion that uh, they were just sitting in idleness, watching people uh, get killed and not really caring or thinking it applied to them, that was the wrong conclusion. Pahoran, the chief judge, had been thrown out in rebellion. He wasn't neglecting his duties. He was unable to perform them. Pahoran frankly forgave Moroni and asked for his help in reestablishing the government in Zarahemla. Uh, Moroni quickly came to his aid, and they succeeded in driving out the kingmen who had overthrown the government and reestablishing order. The question, as we look at this, was, was Moroni out of line? I've heard debates on this that go both ways, and I am firmly, firmly on the fence on this one. On the one hand, Moroni did not have to assume the worst of Pahoran, uh, especially something that was untrue. And he did not necessarily have to be harsh in his critique, in his accusation. Um, so you do see something that's kind of not great. It, it doesn't look great. On the other hand, in a time of war, he was standing up in defense of his men. He was, he was a, a warrior fighting the Lamanites, and this was the way that he dealt with situations uh, for the betterment of his people to boldly stand up for those he knew were sacrificing and suffering. And so I don't imagine that it would have been a, a, appropriate for him to say, oh, you know what, I'll just fill out Form 23B so that this uh, petition can be processed by the correct judges and bureaucrats, uh, and, and they can open an official investigation into the processing of supplies. That's maybe too passive of, of an approach. In a military emergency, his letter, however harsh, was actually an indication of restraint in which he clearly explained what he believed uh, was happening and the consequences if his guess was correct. 
he, he didn't march in and just start slaying the people of Zarahemla. He at least had a letter that kind of showed his frame of mind. And I think um, it's easy to say, oh, but he shouldn't have done that. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe the emergency of the situation kind of softens the the severity of his uh, of his aggression. Um, but I think instead of asking, was Moroni out of line? A more important question might be, what can I do to be more like Pahoran? Because it really doesn't matter if someone thinks something untrue of us or is judgmental of us. God knows the truth. And if we do right, in the end, truth will prevail. Pahoran could still have confidence, even though he received what could have been a very offensive uh, gesture from Moroni. But he could still have confidence that Moroni was a good man. It didn't matter that he was harsh and that he had made an accusation that was untrue. Good men work through mistakes. And the two of them did. Pahorn was able to put that aside and uh, and work together with Moroni. The, the response that Pahorin gives, uh, there's a section of this that is worth reading. This is Alma chapter 61, verse 9, uh, Pahorin's response. And now in your epistle, you have censured me, but it mattereth not. I am not angry, but do rejoice in the greatness of your heart. I, Pahoran, do not seek for power, save only to retain my judgment seat, that I may preserve the rights and the liberty of my people. My soul standeth fast in that liberty in the which God hath made us free. In the end, don't judge the judgmental too harshly. There are way worse things that a person can do. It is worth enduring difficulties to put God first. Our enemy is seeking to persuade us to put anything else first. And when we put God first, as the 2,000 warriors did, we will see miracles. We appreciate all the support for the Ward Preacher podcast. Next week, we will be looking at Helaman, chapter 1 through 6, uh, and the Pride Cycle. Of course, there is a ton of stuff that we did not cover in depth uh, in the reading this week. Please study that individually and with your family. And as always, fight on.